Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1. This is the message. There's seven churches that the Lord speaks to. There's, there's no more, let me say it this way, there's no more direct message anywhere in the Bible of Jesus speaking directly to his people. Nowhere in the Bible that where you find Jesus speak, he speak, speaking specifically to these churches. And we're going to get in on this today. I want to talk to you and, and speak to you today about recapturing our first love. We're going to talk about how important this is to the Lord. Revelation 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever hears, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise. Of God. Father, today we come before your presence. And Lord, we come under the government of your words. We ask today, Lord, that you would speak through your servant. Help me to say everything that you want me to say and nothing I'm not supposed to say. I pray an anointing upon this people, upon our hearts, upon our minds, as we have seen here. It is vital how we hear and what we hear. And today, help us to recapture something that might have been lost. Help us to recapture our first love. And we thank you for this. And everyone said amen. 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 The church at Ephesus is one of those amazing places where God moved in the earth in an incredible way in the first century. 
If you really look at it in the book of Acts, it's one of the greatest revivals the world has ever known. How that God moves so wonderfully and so greatly. Today, it's a pile of ruins. Both the city and the church. But then, the city of Ephesus was, I would call it a bustling city. Four trade routes flowed and went through Ephesus. And Ephesus was called the gateway to Asia. It's a note that there was, it was the center of false worship. The Greeks called this god Artemis. The Romans called it the god Diana. But we know there is no god really besides our god. Those are gods inspired by demons. I mean there's only one true god. That's, god, that's our god. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I think I quoted even last week. This is eternal life, that you may know the, the, the one God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. There in Ephesus, there was what the temple of Diana was purported to be one of the seven wonders of the whole world in that day. And it was there in that city that God sent a Jewish apostle and others, maybe even others before him, But God used Paul so wonderfully and so greatly, and a church was established there in this very pagan city. And now, about 40 years later, approximately, we don't know exactly, about 40 years later, the Holy Spirit speaks to John, and he writes to this church, of Ephesus. And by this time, the first generation of believers have gone. The builders are gone. Seems like the, it seems like in everything, first generation people are just rugged people. When you see those first founders of this, this nation, though this is not a perfect nation, this, they built a great nation. And here in Ephesus... They founded a great church, but all those leaders are pretty much gone now. In fact, John may be one of the only ones left. We know that all the other apostles are gone, and now John is the only one left. And the church has changed. The spiritual climate of the church has changed. And the church is in spiritual decline. And that's why Jesus spoke to this third church through John and through the angel. Because the church is in spiritual decline. Now, no one, could notice, no one noticed it on the outside. On the outside, this was a very active church, a very busy church. Many wonderful qualities that I will share with you, hopefully. But the one who sees all. You hear this, the one who sees more than the brick and mortar, the one that can look down with the eyes that are a flame of fire, and he can look down not just at the action, but he sees the very motives of a person's heart. And he sees that though outwardly the church looks good, but he sees inwardly that things are not right in the spiritual condition of this church. Jesus said, or Paul said, through the Holy Spirit, don't judge anything 
before it's time. We, we, and we're constantly judging things before it's time. What does that mean, Pastor? Don't judge things before it's time. That means that true judgment will only come when we stand in the very presence of Jesus. And he evaluates and he gives correction or he gives commendation. Only true, true evaluation only comes then. Paul said, judge nothing before. This is first, I'm quoting kind of stammering around 1 Corinthians 4, 5, which says, judge nothing before it's time for the Lord will come and he will give to each one according to what their, their motives are, what they deserve. So he that has the eyes of a flame of fire looks down upon this church and said there is spiritual declension that's going on and the change needs to take place. And the problem is not lost love. I hear people talk about losing your first love. That's not what the Bible says. It really is better term forsaken love. They had forsaken their first love. Paul went to this city, and in Acts 20 it says, that verse 31, that for three years he warned them with tears. I mean, you know, there's too many professional preachers today. There's too many preachers that think they have a job, but we don't have jobs. We have callings from God if we're really called. And Paul, for three and a half years or so, he warned these people and he preached to them to get right with God and he poured his heart out to them for those three years under great cost to him personally. We know this church in Ephesus. We know that Timothy ministered there. Tychicus ministered there. John even served there. In fact, we find John on the Isle of Patmos. That penal colony, six miles wide, ten miles long. And it was from Ephesus that they arrested him and took him to the Isle of Patmos. And we know in the Revelation, the first chapter, he said he was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Jesus. He was preaching the word of God, shepherding the people in Ephesus. And yet after all this time, they had forsaken their first love. And there's some things that they needed to be reminded of. And there's some things that we need to be reminded of today. And I'll have you to put your eyes on the word of God again. And we'll look at them. In verse 1, the apostle John, he reminds them of who they're serving. He reminds the church who they are serving. In each of these seven letters to these churches, there's a personal identification that was vital to the spiritual condition. In other words, there was something each of these churches needed to recapture about Christ that should stir them. And isn't it interesting that here in the church at Ephesus, he says this in verse 1 again. Revelation 2.1 will be on the screen. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, these are the words of him. Notice, who holds the seven stars in his right hands. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. I think what they needed to be reminded of is that the one who had called them and had saved them was the sovereign Lord. 
He was the Lord. That's, that's used over 400 times. You know, many people say Jesus is Savior. Yes, he's Savior, of course. There is no other Savior. But that term and its equivalent is only used 16 times, one-six in the New Testament. The term, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and all those equivalent terms are used over 400 times in the New Testament. I tell you, he is the sovereign Lord today. He is the one who holds the angels in his hands. He walks among the churches. Now, one of the things that we have here is he holds the stars in his hands. Now, some have said those are the pastors. He holds the messengers, angelos, messengers, they've translated it. But I'm not so sure that's right. Though I definitely hope I'm in his hands. And we want all the servants to be in his hands. But if we're, if we're consistent with interpreting this message within this book. Have you read the revelation of Jesus Christ lately? How a, prolific, a proliferation of the ministry of angels and his book. I think what he's saying is the, an, the angels are in his hands. Now to get the weight of this, let's talk about angels a minute. Just a second. Do you know that angels are mighty spirit beings? Angels are not beings to be messed with. And I believe they're in his hands. You say, well, how, how powerful are these beings? Just one was sent out and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Read this in your own time, Isaiah 37. But it says, I like, I like this right here. After that happened, they all woke up the next one. God just sent one angel. God said, this is a small job. Just one of you guys go. Hey, you, Tom, you go and take care of it. And the Bible says this. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, or I'm sorry, when the people got up the next morning, they saw all the dead bodies. It says he broke camp and went, basically went home. That's a pretty smart guy right there. It's time to go home when one guy can beat the whole team. But these are angels. Mighty, mighty angels. The scripture teaches that angels are God's servants. Notice this. In the psalmist it says, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding and obey his word. All through scripture, God is telling angels, go speak to Mary. Go speak to Zechariah. Go speak to uh, Ezekiel. Go take some food here. Go do that. Go bring judgment here. Go down to uh, go down to. I uh, can't think of the city now. I know it's down there. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And go, two angels. took two angels to get all that sin out. Uh, Hebrews 1 and 7 says this. And speaking of angels, he says, he makes angel spirits and his servants a flame of fire. They're fiery quick and they're fiery effective. Hebrews also says that angels are sent to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. Only heaven and only eternity will tell how many times we've been watched over by angels. How many times we've been protected and kept from evil by one of God's servants. How many of those angels can bring protection over us? It said he will give his angels command concerning you and guarding you in all of your ways. They will lift up your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The psalmist also said, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And one angel was sent to a, a, a poor apostle in the book of Acts, chapter 
Chapter 12, we know he's for, because in chapter 3 he said, silver and gold have I not. We knew he was a Pentecostal preacher. But yet the Lord sent his angel, struck Peter on the side and said, wake up, follow me. And they just went out, doors and gates started opening. They bring deliverance sometimes to God's people when God chooses to do that. Now think about this today. In speaking of the church at Ephesus, our Lord says this, you need to remember that I am the great God. I am the sovereign of the universe. I'm the one that spoke and created angels from my fingertips and flung them out in creation. And I want you to know that I'm so big, they're in my hands. That's how big his hands are. These mighty spirit beings, many, many times when they show up, people are struck with, with, with utter fear. And yet God says, I'm so much bigger than they are. I hold them in my hands. How I many know you got a big God? We don't worship angels. Anytime in Bible they try to worship angels, angels thought it was so weird. Because we may have a certain perspective on angels, but they're in God's hands. They're like little bitty compared to the God who the whole universe cannot, feel, cannot contain the greatness of our God. Anytime, even John fell down to worship. John, they said, don't do that, don't do that. We don't worship angels. We don't pray to angels. We don't have statues to angels and those kind of things. Why? Because we, we serve the one that angels are in his hands. The stars are in his hands. The Ephesus folks need to know that. He also said this. He said, listen, I'm the one who walks among the candlesticks. Now, the candlesticks, highly symbolical book, which means the churches. One, each of these churches, the candlestick represented the church. And Jesus said, I'm walking in the midst of the church. I'm walking in the midst of my people. Do you know? Now think about this. We don't have to go to some temple to worship. We don't have to come here to, here to worship. We could worship outside. We could worship under Congo. We could worship, we could worship in a house. Why? Because our God is not some idol that we go worship as some statue, but our God is among us. Hear this. The Spirit of God is among us. We are God's temple. The people are God's temple. And in the scripture, it's used individually, but it's also used corporately that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God walks, when we're here today, we could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the Lord walking among us. Amen? He's walking among us. He told the Corinthians, don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And what he meant is corporately that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then in the second chapter of Corinthians, in chapter 6, when he was talking about immorality and using your body in an immoral way, he said, don't you know that you personally are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God? He says, listen, don't you know who I am? I'm the one that holds the stars in my hand. And I walk among the seven golden lampstands. I am in your presence. And we are in his presence today. Now notice what this church was like. Chapter 2, verse 2. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people. You've tested your leadership. 
You don't have some false teachers and preachers coming. You've tested those apostles. You, 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 you felt like something was wrong. You tested them by the word of God. They didn't measure up. They were false. And you said, we're not listening to you. You have persevered, endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. I don't know about you. This is the kind of church you want to be a part of, right? These are wonderful things. These, these are wonderful things. But notice he says, here they were hardworking. I know your deeds. It's a hardworking church. I've been, I've been around some folks that weren't so hardworking. I've been to some churches before. You couldn't get folks out to do anything. I thank God we're not like that. Amen? Work is, ministry is spelled W-O-R-K. It's hard work to build a church. Come on. It's taxing to build a church, both physically, both mentally, certainly spiritually. But this was a church that had a great work ethic. They worked hard. And, and, and by the way, if you study there, the word, the word here that says you work hard, it means literally to labor to the point of exhaustion in the Greek. These, these are some folks that had given their all. They'd given some energy. You know, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. They'd given their strength to the Lord. Many missionaries have done this. Many missionaries have died on the field because they worked so hard to win people to Christ. I think of John Hyde, the great apostle to mission, to the apostle of prayer to India. And if I'm not mistaken, if I get my story straight, he's, he had prayed so fervently and lived under such a spiritual load of intercession, it literally affected his heart. His heart even began to move out of place. He was under so much pressure. Doctors said, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop or you're not going to make it. Well, that's how these Ephesians, they worked so hard to the point of exhaustion. It also says here that they were a holy people. They couldn't tolerate wickedness. They weren't, they weren't really trying to fit in with the world. There's churches that do that today. There's churches that aren't worried about what world. And now, I certainly want to have a good reputation. I certainly don't want to purposely offend. But that's not my goal, to be acceptable to everyone, to go along, to get along. We're to be a candlestick. We're to be a light to the world. We're to be truth in the midst of darkness and light in the midst of darkness. And here these peoples have become tolerate wickedness. In other words, they took the commands of God and the commands of Jesus to live a separate life. They took it really seriously. I says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've shared with you, and I'll share again, that when I was in high school, I'd gotten saved and nobody in my family was saved. God just plucked me out. And, and my cousin was saved, but my immediate family, mom, dad, brother, sister, they weren't saved. And I remember I moved away, went through a tough time, moved away. And I was, I'll tell you where it was. I was, I was in senior class at Ardmore High School over in, up in Oklahoma. I said over here, like you say, where? <laughs> Ardmore, Oklahoma. And I'd gotten so full of God that I just was a fearless kind of didn't, don't care what you think about, you know. Had a lot of zeal, probably not. I had a lot of uh, zeal, probably need a lot more knowledge. But I remember one day, I just, I mean, you know that if you fall in love with Jesus, you just get tired of this world sometimes. You're not mad at anyone. You're just like, that's not, my, that's not what I want in my life. 
I choose Jesus. And, I, and, my, and they, were having a, uh, they were having an assembly. And basically, they were going to go in there and have a little rock concert. And I told my teacher, I'm not going. And that class looked at me like I was an utter fool. Even mocked me. I said, I'm not going in there. And the teacher asked me, what are you going to do? I was like, you're the teacher. You tell me what to do. I don't know. But she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just going to sit right here. I don't, want, I don't want to go in there. And I remember they filed out. I remember one girl. I filed, filed out. And then one girl, she's poking at me, you know, kind of jabbing at me in a sense. But I wonder where those people are today. I wonder how their marriages are today. I wonder where they are today. I, didn't, I, I had done that stuff in my life. I had lived that way in my old BC life. I mean, you can get a lot of sin in a short period of time in your life. You look at kids now, they're taking guns to school and shooting teachers at six years old. We've gone wrong somewhere. I think we need to get back to the B-I-B-L-E. But I took a stand. I didn't want to hear that stuff anymore. I had heard it. And I'll tell you one thing. I probably never shared this. When I got saved, I had a plate glass, window, a plate glass sliding door. And then we had a field behind, a big old field behind our house that was, uh, it was kind of a, a, a fire lane type thing. So we're never going to build a big old field. We used it at riding motorbikes. I went out there and I took all those albums. Back then there were albums. You know, the kids today, that's a big CD you got there. I don't even have that anymore. I got all those albums and I threw them out in that field. I threw them, everyone out in that field. I said, you take that devil. That's exactly what I said. Take that devil. Just like that. Take that devil. Ozzy Osbourne, you're gone. Led Zeppelin, you're gone. You're gone. Today, we just wallow in this stuff and worship Jesus on Sunday. Don't preach while I'm doing, don't, don't say amen while I'm preaching good. But that's what I did. I made a stand for Christ. And that class, they thought I was a fool. And I was. I was a fool for Christ. I had drawn my line in the sand. I had made a choice of who I was going to serve. Jesus was number one then, and I certainly hadn't been a perfect man. Certainly have my faults, but I can tell you today, I have the same message today. I have the same commitment today. I have a love for God. I need more of a love for God. We're going to pray about that at the end of this, but I'm going to tell you this. They took their commitment to Jesus seriously, and it's time we get back to that. Can I hear an amen? They did not allow false doctrine to come in. It says this in the scripture. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. They, were gonna, they weren't going to have any false teaching, nothing like that. They even suffered for Jesus. Look at this, verse 3. It says, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So this was a great church in many ways. It even says here that they hated the practice of the Nicolaitans. You just like, well, who in the world are the Nicolaitans? What's that all about? Because it was so serious that Jesus even said he hated that. These are the very words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, these are red letter. Look here, it says, it says you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Jesus says, I hate them too. I hate those practices. Who are they? We don't really quite know exactly but what we do know is this. It was probably some kind of antinomian type teaching that taught that you could have a relationship with God while engaging in gross immorality and sin. But yet you were safe and everything was good and God would just overlook it all. And that's just not the case. Jesus said, I hate that kind of teaching. 
Now, think about this. I won't go there anymore. I'm going to get to this part. Here's a church that was busy. Here's a church that's lived, seeking to live a holy life. Here's a church that's clinging the word. They're testing the leadership. They're, they're not compromising the word. Here in the midst of this pagan, ungodly culture. And they were even willing to suffer for his name. But yet, there's a huge problem in this church. There's a major problem. And I've read it to you. And it's in verse, it's in about verse 4. And the major problem is they've forsaken their first love. Now this, this shows you, this is going to show us how serious love is. I have this against you, verse 4. You have forsaken your first love. Notice what he says here. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. I'll tell you what that means in a moment. Your first love. It simply means putting God first in your life. First love is just, that's your first love. You love God first. Think about it. First, God is first in my love. First love is God's first in my love. He's first in my priority. He's first in my service. First in my giving. First in my obedience. He is first above all things. It's been said, if God is not first, he will not be second. Think about it. If God is not first in our lives, I can promise you, he's not second. Let that weigh upon us, dear ones. Paul had once commended this church for its love. When he wrote a letter to them, Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, ever since I heard of your faith, this is when they first got saved, I heard of your faith and your love. It was different back then. They had just said yes to Jesus. They had just given their heart to the Lord. It was all fresh. Their Bible was still new. They didn't even have a mark on it. But yet now, they've forsaken that love. Then in Ephesians 3, verses 17 and 18, again, he, he talks about growing in their love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted in, and established in love, that you may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. In other words, he's saying, don't stop in love. I want you to have more love. Here's what I would tell you. The loss of this love is, is of such magnitude and of such serious, a serious matter that Jesus said, if things don't change, I'm closing the church down and it will not even exist anymore. Let that sober us of the importance of love 
and love for God first. He said, I, I will come and remove the lampstand from its place. That means that the church will cease to exist. And you say, well, wait a second. Would God do that? And the question is, as we look back over spiritual history, has God done that? Has God done that? Now think about it. God spoke. God sent prophets to ancient Israel. And he would speak to them and speak to them and speak to them and speak to them and speak to them to to say, repent. Don't serve Baal. Don't serve Molech. Don't serve these gods. Or I will bring judgment. I'll remove you from its place. And look at this. In, in 2 Chronicles 36, here's what it says. This is, these are sad words. Just put yourself, you're a Jewish person, and you're watching all this happen. He carried to Babylon the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the treasuries of the king and of his officials. They set fire to God's temple. They broke it down. Down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all its palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnants who escaped from the swords. The remnant was the little group of people who remained faithful to God. They were, who escaped the Egypt. They became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed the Sabbath Its Sabbath rest, all the time of its desolation, it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. He had told them they wouldn't listen. He had spoke to them they wouldn't listen until finally. Can you imagine all that being dismantled? Can you imagine all the hard work we put in, all the time we put in, all the, all the labor we put in to see some wicked thing, somebody come and start taking things down and start pulling walls down and pulling beams down. It would be heartbreaking. And that's what they saw. Jesus said this. He said, not one stone will be left upon another, but all will be torn down. Yes, this has happened before. The removing of the lampstand is not the same, but it is similar. In the sense that God said, I'll remove this if you don't listen. Now notice this, and I'll wind this down. Notice what Jesus says the church must do to get right with God and to avoid judgment. His judgment. Verse 5, listen closely. Consider, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. Three things he says. First of all, you need to remember. First of all, we need to stir our spiritual memories up. And we need to consider how far we have fallen. Listen to this. A life, listen, are you listening? Say amen. A life of diminished love, whether it's individual or entire church, a life of diminished diminished love is a fallen church or a church that is beginning to fall. 
Remember your past spiritual life. Remember the goodness of God. Remember how God saved you. Remember how God filled you with the Holy Spirit. Remember how God healed you. Remember how God used you. Remember that God taught you the word of God. Remember how God's provided you. Remember the things God has done in your life. We must remember the goodness of God. And then he says, not only you got to remember, you got to repent. You have to repent. Now listen, forsake our first love is no light matter. It is a serious, sobering sin that must be repented of. And repentance is not feeling sorry for something. Repentance is, a, is, is a, a feeling of conviction, yes, but it is to change. It is to turn that brings confession and it brings uh, repentance and it brings change of action and change of attitude and, and if, if possible, even restitution. Repentance is included, all of that. The Thessalonians, it says, they turned from God to serve the living and true God. Many in our modern day, they want to drag their idols in and just serve God along with them. But remember what I said, if God's not first, he won't be second. We must choose today between our idols or Jesus because Jesus will not share us with idols. And then the third thing he says, he says, there has to, you have to revive. He says, do the things you did at first. What did you do at first? Think about what you did at first. If you have a real salvation, and I trust that you do, that means if you look back when you yielded your life to God, you yielded your whole soul, your whole devotion, your whole love to him. You couldn't get enough of worship. You couldn't get enough of church. You couldn't get enough of the word of God. Everything else, every other activity in life looked dim and dull because of the love that you have for God. Now many times for many, many Christian people, the Bible will sit there for days, weeks, months. It's just a dust gatherer. And it has nothing to do with intellectual it has nothing to do with the inability to read. It has to do with the heart condition. The love for God has been forsaken. You know, there's a cost. Are you hearing me? There's a cost. I'm about to close, but listen to the cost. There's a cost to follow Jesus. There's a cost to maintain the first love. A real walk with Jesus doesn't come on the bargain table. Back when Kmart was still alive, there used to be the blue light special. Remember that little thing, little blue light special? Everybody run over there. Oh, there's a sale. There's a sale. Oh, look, a blouse. Oh, some shoes. Oh, it's 10% off. You'll never find a real relationship with God on the bargain table. Notice what Jesus said in Luke 14. I'm almost done. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children, brother and sister, yet, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if there's enough money to complete it? 
If the, if, if, for if you lay the foundation not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying the person began to build but wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king go out to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose those who are coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others are, st- are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything you have, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it, is, it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, but to be thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking here that, that defective discipleship, serving God with a half heart, is, that's the kind of thing that you get. It's worthless. Just throw it on the manure pile. The only kind of relationship that's worth its weight is a, is a relationship of first love. To love God. And he's first in my life. Here's what God says. That if you'll repent, I have blessing for you. Here's here's some things I want you to consider as I close. This church had not crossed the point of no return yet. Listen, God was still speaking to them. He that let him hear, he said, let him hear. He that has ears, let him hear. God is still speaking to them. And here's something else I noticed. The Holy Spirit is still moving among them. Because it said, he that, he, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And, and the promises of God are still available. They can still overcome. Because he said to them, to the one who overcomes, or to the one who is victorious. How do we overcome? And here's another cool thing. He promises them paradise, which is synonymous with heaven. How do we keep this first love? How do we get it? How do we keep it? I'll close with these words. This is John 15. I am the true vine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may bury, may even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Mino is the Greek word. It means a close, close relationship. Remaining close to Jesus. As close as as a branch is to a vine, I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, if you do not keep the first love, If you not remain close, you'll be like a branch that is thrown away and and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, say it with me. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Our musicians are coming as we bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we worship you today. We worship you. We bless your wonderful and great name. Thank you, Lord. Just, just begin to worship the Lord right there where you are. Just begin to worship the Lord today. Just, just use your voice. Just worship him. Just worship his name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We need to recapture our first love. That love that is, you know, the Lord said in Luke, and I, I read it to you, that unless we love him more than father, mother, you know, and all of that, and he uses that language, he's not telling us to hate anyone. He's saying the love for him should be so great that in comparative to any other thing, it looked like hate. Because we love God so supremely. But today... I believe the Lord is speaking to our hearts that we need to recapture and return to that first love. To where we love Him and all that we do doesn't come out of some gritting our teeth and rote uh, activity, but the things that we do come out of a love for Him. And that love fuels ministry. And, and we love God, and that's why we preach and that's why we sing and that's why we go to the hospitals and that's why we lead ministries because we love God and we love his people why don't we ask the Lord today to rekindle that love as we return to him I wish we had prayer branches up here in the front we don't in this little building it would be great to just kneel but that's all right the Lord sees our hearts today. I want all of us to stand. And let's just all stand. And we're just going to worship God. Stephanie, lead us in whatever you have there. And I just want you to draw near to the Lord. And I'll pray for you. But you, let's do this together. Let's just draw near to the Lord our God. Let's return to our first love. Some of you, you love the Lord. But things, things begin to creep up. And, you, and you're not as close as you once were. And the Lord says, return today. That takes place in your heart. Let's begin to worship the Lord. Just worship.